In his book, uh, The Rise of Selfishness, James Collier uh, traces historically the rejection of what he calls moral, the moral restraint of self in favor of what he called an unashamed obsession with self-gratification. The worldview, he said, in this day is self-satisfaction. Some have called this the idea of psychological entitlement, but somehow we bought the idea that the world owes us something and we can't seem to face the fact that sometimes even hard work doesn't give us what we think we owe. We're owed. But I wonder if we understand what that kind of world creates, of what it has done to us. Someone has described our society in North America as one of the most rooted in anxiety and agitation ever. We're anxious about time. We're anxious about what we do not have. We're anxious that our children may not be successful. Usually that's defined by your parents' views of what definitions of successful are. We're anxious about future. We're anxious about relationships. I still remember the day that my daughter, a junior high girl at that particular time, which I think is purgatory. I mean, for you who have been junior high girls, you'll understand this. I mean, this dreadful time for her of one friend being her best friend that day and then all of a sudden her worst enemy the next. And I walked into the, into the room and all of her clothes were on the bed. She was going to a party that night and she couldn't decide what to wear. And it wasn't just about being beautiful. It was about all the anxiety about not being beautiful enough. Just to finish the story, I kept telling her how beautiful she was and she looks good in all of those things, which just got her crying more. And finally, Carla came in and said, get out. <laughs> and I got out and uh, somehow she solved it. Combined with this kind of anxiety, what Ramos, the author of the book that was advertised in this short video clip, calls living in the age of the unthinkable is this relentless pace of change and the inadequacy of solutions that seem to create within us a sense of powerlessness as this kind of thing just rolls over top of us. And sometimes just a feeling that everything is chaos. My son-in-law today sits on the drill ship. It turned out that Stacy was beautiful enough and she got married. My son-in-law sits on a drill ship off the coast of the Canary Islands. He's a chief electrician who for years has made a healthy income almost from the age of 19. But now he finds themselves in the realities of an oil industry facing a below $30 a barrel oil, which, is, which was once over $100 a barrel just 16 months ago. Will he have a job? Will his ship, which is the promise, will his drip, uh, drill ship be the only ship that gets a contract for this year? A graduate from Tyndale University College tells me that he's facing the uncertain job market 
And he wonders if the best job that he can find is as a barista at Starbucks. The stock market in China closes early, three days in a row. And all of the other markets which are tied to this Chinese economy go into a tailspin. A group of presidents last week, Christian universities in North America, come together and discuss the changing academic environment and a government that will not invest in higher education and a model that is desperate for change. Bombs go off in Paris, in Beirut, to places I've been. And teachers and students are killed in Lalash. And within a poverty cycle, this relentless cycle of poverty that is created for those people in Lalash, a world of individuals trapped in its grip, a sense of despair. And other victims are a result. A white supremacy group emerges on a Christian campus in the U.S. and you just have to turn on the news to realize how politics appears so polarized. Christian faith becomes more and more marginalized in a society that is hell-bent on re-engineering itself through identity, sexual preference, and self-fulfillment. And it's what it does to us that is so destructive. It's so paralyzing. It's so insidiously evil. Years ago, I read a story from one of Chuck Swindoll's books. Some of you may not even know who Chuck Swindoll is. But he told the story of a bird named Chippy. It captures what we feel. It's a funny story. It's a bit shallow. But it captures what I, feel, what I feel, certainly, and maybe what you do as well. And this is what he wrote. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage singing, and the next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. His problem began when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum. She stuck the nozzle in to suck up the seeds and the feathers at the bottom of the cage and then the phone rang and instinctively she turned to reach the phone to pick it up and she barely said hello when all she heard was <laughs> Chippy had got sucked in. The owner gasped she dropped the phone, she snapped off the vacuum, she unzipped the bag, and there was Chippy alive, but stunned, and covered with a heavy black dust. She grabbed Chippy, rushed him to the bathtub, turned on the faucet full blast, and held Chippy under a torrent of ice-cold water, power-washing him clean. And then she did what every compassionate pen owner would do. She snatched up the hairdryer and the blasted, wet, shivering little bird got dried off. Swindoll closes the story with these words. Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> Thank you.
Life will test you, but don't let the struggles steal your song. I realize it's a silly story, and it may even trivialize some of what you feel in whatever circumstances you are facing. It's true. To often the most difficult of circumstances are not the ones of our own making. They're often the ones that appear to have been done to us. But the point is, how you choose to live out of these circumstances are remarkably critical. Francis Schaeffer once said, the beginning of humanity's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a thankful heart. The tests of life reveal how well you take instruction, what you've learned, and what you will do in a given set of circumstances. What you have been taught is only a theory until it's been tested in real fire. To all of us caught in this relentless anxiety, this petulant anger about the circumstances around us that we have no control over, to us who are angry about the obstacles we face. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. It just might make you really mad. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Yeah, but you don't understand our circumstances got a fly around here. You don't understand our circumstances. You don't understand what unique conditions I'm facing. Surely not now. I mean, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. I think this is one of the passages, probably one of the most passages that we gloss over. You know, like the movie Dead Poets Society. If you don't like it, you just rip it out or you at least ignore it. And you get on to the stuff that you can fulfill. Later on, Paul will say this. I quoted this at the commencement chapel. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Don't you hate Paul? I mean, in these short, short verses, he's called you to a higher way of living. A road, if you want, less traveled. One that is not just in your head and in your heart, but wrapped up in the actions that we take with each other, framed in our behaviors. It's interesting. The word think in the Greek means to carefully be thoughtful. It's like saying, make these thoughts habits of your heart and of your life and put them into practice. Just before those words, Paul had written this wonderful phrase in verse 5. Look at it in the end in verse 5. The Lord is at hand. My translation said, the Lord is near. And then he goes on. Have no anxiety about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. 
and the peace that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's like he's saying, get a perspective. Root yourself in God. John Piper writes in Desiring God, proud people don't say thanks. Gratitude is the echo of grace reverberating through the hollows of the human heart, but proud people don't think they need grace. Self-absorbed people don't say thanks. Tight-lipped, he says, they take the diamond of God's glory, they enter the pawn shop of pride, and they hawk it for the broken marble of self-reliance. And then they take this little idol home, and they set it up on the mantle of their mind, and they bow town a hundred times in a hundred different ways every day. Although we knew God, we did not glorify Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in our thinking, claiming to be wise, one of the writers in the Old Testament says. Proud people. Proud people. Self-delusion people. Don't say thanks. It's often said that for Christians, Salvation is all about grace, and obedience is all about gratitude. You see, gratitude is a sign of spiritual maturity, and it shows in the way people live their lives in spite of the circumstances that they face. Carla and I were in Cuba with some friends a few weeks ago. One of those friends is a Rwandan-Canadian. She's a professor of social work at the University of Manitoba. I wish you could meet her. One day she may be come to speak here. She's a remarkable woman of hope and of grace and of gratitude. Regine is her name, and she is a survivor of the genocide perpetrated on Tutsi Rwandans in the early 90s. She was a university student at the time. I mean, even for, to get to the university was a miracle for her in a system that worked against her as a Tutsi and worked against her as a woman. But she got to that university. At the university in Kigali, all of a sudden the genocide broke out. She was on the list to be killed, it turned out. There was a list. And as an intellectual Tutsi, they wanted to open up her skull and look at her Tutsi brain to understand it. She was on the list. And she survived only by hiding in the bush. This proud young woman self-reliant, courageous, and determined. Sorry, I thought I'd get through one sermon where I wouldn't cry. And determined, 
humiliatingly ankle-deep in mud for a number of weeks, listened to the killing that was going on around her, wondering if she would be next. Her story is amazing. She shared some of it with the UN this year. She was invited to come to speak to the United Nations on the 20th anniversary of the genocide. And if you want to check it out and what she said, uh, you can go to their website. I found myself on the beach gazing at her one afternoon and pondering how circumstances, the horror of her life somehow didn't overcome her. How did she remain so determined? How did she remain so grace-filled and able to laugh? How did she remain so open and listen to others? How did she remain so open that she could fall in love with my friend, come to Canada, work on a master's degree and a PhD, all focused on trauma, and all doing it in a third language, and ultimately gaining an academic post at one of Canada's largest universities. It begins somewhere. The large, grand goals of peace and living fully become reality only in human life in the small, day-to-day -day choices that we make to live our lives with gratitude. If you knew Regine, you would know that that is true because that's how she lives. It doesn't mean that she doesn't feel anxious at times. It doesn't mean that she doesn't feel the pain of all of that that has been a part of her life. But living life gratefully, focused on the virtues that Paul lays out, gets her going every day, and it holds her true to the God that she placed her trust in when she was hiding in the bush. She knew in every fiber of her being during that time that the Lord was near. And after, she was grateful and chose not to live in the pain, but instead to live differently. That day on the beach, as she laughed at some joke or something stupid that Gordon and I were doing, I realized gratitude is a sign of spiritual maturity. Amen. Let's pray. God of wonder, God of grace, we come seeking a place of thankfulness so that whatever our circumstances, we might know that you are near.